Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, so um, you have probably already been getting a sense of what the Lord is doing um, in our midst this morning, You're getting a sense of the flavor of the day. I want to tell you that um, this sermon uh, that I'm going to be sharing with you guys, this talk is not one that ha- was born out of like, you know, months of planning in a sermon series. Uh, this was, to be honest with you guys, it was uh, a middle of the night kind of God waking me up saying, this is what I want you to speak. And so um, I just want you to fasten your seatbelts. Um, I'm going to pray over our time together. Lord Jesus, um, I pray that you would be highly, highly glorified this morning. I pray that your heart for the lost would be made manifest in this place. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we as a church would grow, that we would become more like you. Even this morning, Holy Spirit, would you come and quicken us? Would you... Touch our hearts, Lord, and I pray that that every person that is within hearing of this message, that none of us would be able to walk away unchanged by it, that we would instead become more like you and take up your good work. In the name of Jesus, amen. How many of you guys have ever um, been out of the country at all? Okay, lots of you. Lots of you been out of the country. So... Um, I don't know if you, you know, for those of you that have been, you probably know that leaving the comforts of America can be really, really jarring to us, especially uh, if we left the country for something other than doing like an all-inclusive in Cancun or touring bistros in Paris or something like that. But the longer that we're gone out of our country and the more sort of foreign that culture is compared to American culture and American comforts and things like that, being out Outside the country can be difficult. It can be challenging to us. And we heard uh, during the worship time that a couple of my kids spent um, a good chunk of the last couple of years during COVID doing missions work. And um, I was asking my two that were uh, on, you know, you know, in the missions world. Hey, Will. Uh, um, I just said, hey, tell me some stories. What was it like being out there? And my son Aiden spent um, three months in the uh, the Amazon basin in Brazil. And and I said, what was it like? And he said it was actually really, really hard. And um, he talked about how so often, the, you know, normally what they slept in was hammocks, hammocks, and they slept outside a lot. And so they were frequently just, they would wake up to hundreds uh, and hundreds of mosquito bites. I was surprised and a little bit disappointed to hear that they often didn't have enough food. The missionaries didn't have enough food to eat. Aiden said he was hungry a lot of the time. They uh, very, very very often they didn't have um, running water, and so they did their showering and the, the washing of their clothes in rivers a lot of the time. And so Aiden said that he was always sandy, and he was always sticky, and he was always dirty, which for Aiden, he's got like tactile issues, and so that probably drove him nuts. Uh, and he said it was hard, but it was it was worth it because of the work that they were doing. And then I asked my daughter Anna, you guys probably have heard that Anna spent last winter in Mongolia. 
And, um, and I was actually sharing this with a friend from uh, a Russian friend at Rangrove Village. He was asking where Anna was, and I said, oh, she's in this town. And he said, oh, by Siberia. And I said, yeah, yeah, by Siberia. I don't know if you've got any of those pictures that you can throw up there, but I asked Anna... What, uh, the, you know, what was life like there? And first of all, it was cold. Uh, average temperature was below, uh, was 30 below. The average temperature. And um, what is really kind of weird is that in Mongolia, I don't think they have laws restricting air pollution. And so the air was constantly filled with smoke. And it was so much, there was so much air pollution that when these young adults would wash their clothes, the, the water that they washed their clothes in turned black. It was just black. And, and the result of that is that all of the missionaries were sick for pretty much the duration of their time. Together, and um, they um, they had how many missionaries? Eleven, nine. nine in your group, and they had this little uh, this little minivan that they would travel all throughout the country and driving ten, twelve hours a day, crammed in this minivan with all their stuff, just so that they could reach the farthest parts of Mongolia with the gospel. And um, probably, I, I, I'm guessing one of the greatest challenges to Anna was Anna was a vegan. Uh, for years, she was a vegan. And in Mongolia, there is no such thing as a vegan. As a matter of fact, they didn't have vegetables at all. And so all they ate was basically meat and they drank dairy. And so there's a picture of some food, I think. But um, Anna, the vegan, I, when I asked her some of the, that, we don't know what that is, but it is food. Terry thinks it's an alligator head, but I don't know if there's alligators in Mongolia. But whatever that is, it might be a deer or a horse or something like that. But that was what they ate. And so Anna ate crazy things like sheep eyeballs. And the thing that uh, impressed me the most was, I might have shared this before, she ate bull penis. That was food. And I just want to say, that's a stretch for a vegan. That's a stretch. That is sacrificing for the gospel, right? And so my, I, I bring this up because I want to ask, why would anyone do this stuff? Why would anyone make such great sacrifices? Anna told me that it actually took months for her body to recover from the experience of doing that work in, in Mongolia. It took months. And why would I just want to ask, why would anybody give up so much for the gospel? And as I was thinking about it, I thought about, about Jesus, and we're here at Christmas time, and, and I wanted us to think for a little bit about what it might have been like for Jesus to leave the throne of heaven to come and to be born into humanity. And you see, it is an incredible thing because for an eternity past, Jesus is eternal, and for an eternity past, Jesus was something other than the man that he is today. There's all kinds of references in the Old Testament that seemed to point to Jesus like this presence in the burning bush and things like that. And so if we were to look at Jesus prior to his birth into humanity, I don't know what we would see. He was some sort of a spiritual being, but 2,022 years ago, give or take a decade or so, Jesus was born into humanity. He was born into creation. And not only was he born into creation, into this incredibly humble circumstance, not only was he born into creation to experience life on planet Earth, to be uh, crucified on the cross, to suffer and die for us, but he remains a man forever and ever. And so whatever he was for an eternity past, today and forever, he will always, always be human. 
fully man and fully God. He will never, ever be the same. As he left, he will return the same way. And I wanted to just ask you guys, I wanted you to think about why. Why would God do all that? Why would he change the, the, the essence of his physical being forever and ever? Why would he do all that? Why would any missionary leave the comfort of home for the gospel? And I want to say that there are two incredibly important reasons why Jesus left the throne of heaven, why he left being in that place of being worshipped 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are two reasons. One of the reasons we love to talk about and the other reason we hate talking about and we almost never do. And the two reasons why Jesus came and entered humanity is because of the reality of two things and they are love and hell. Love and hell. It was his incredible love for humanity. And it was the horrible reality of hell that compelled Jesus to come to earth. Love and hell drove Jesus from the throne of heaven so he could save the world. It's what has driven the hearts of so many followers of Jesus throughout the centuries to seek and save the lost. And I believe, you guys, that quite honestly, anyone who has ever made an impact on any other person's uh, salvation or any other person's eternity, they had a gripping heart of love in them and they probably had almost an afflicting understanding of the reality of hell. Which brings me to what I believe is an incredibly crucial question for all of us and it's crucial because the world, the whole world depends on it and the question is, what is your meter on love and hell? Where are you at and of course, for us, the concept of God's love is completely well-documented. We sing about it, we think about it, we talk about it all the time. John three sixteen, you probably know it by heart, for God so loved the world, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And for you and I who follow Jesus, our lives have been transformed by his love. I mean, God's love for us is the message of the Bible. It's the message of Christmas, and it's a message that the whole world needs to hear. Your friends need to hear it. Your family needs to hear it. Your coworkers need to hear it. Your mailman needs to hear it. We all need to hear the message of God's love. But I want to tell you guys that as amazing and as powerful and as great as that love is, his love has an Achilles heel. It has an Achilles heel, and that is that love isn't urgent. It's not urgent. Your friends need to hear about his love, but for any of us that have ever shared anything about God's love, I bet you felt like you, once you shared it, you could walk away because you could always share it again later. You can always talk about it another time. But here's the thing. I just want to ask you, what if things were actually far more urgent than what we realize and we just weren't paying attention? We just weren't paying attention. When our son Cole was a little kid, I know I'm talking about my kids a lot today. When our son Cole was a little guy, uh, he kept Molly and I on our toes because he was a runner and he was an escape artist. And, uh, and when, and he was on, always on the go. And when he would take off, he would never come back again. Like he, he wasn't like hiding in a corner. He was 
out the door, down the street, nowhere to be found. And so we knew that about Cole. And so we always had to keep our eyes on him. And one, uh, one Christmas season, when Cole was four years old, um, I had to get out of the house. I had to get the kid out of the house. And so I called a friend of mine who had a kid Cole's age. And I said, hey, let's go to the mall and let the kids play at the play place. And this was during Christmas season. So the mall was bonkers. And so uh, we took him there. And if you can imagine those play places, right, just throngs of kids. And then along the sides, there just parents sitting there, you know, on their phones or chatting or watching their kids or whatever. I knew my son. And so I knew that I didn't have the luxury of sitting on the edge while Cole was in the play place. I had to stand at the gate, the only place where kids could come in or go out, because if I didn't stand there, he'd be gone. Right. And so my friend and I stood there and just chatted and we let the kids play. And every 10 minutes or so, I would look out and kind of get a beat on there he is. Okay. And then we go back to talking. Well, after about 30 minutes or so, I I looked out there and couldn't find him, but I knew he was in there somewhere. So I just went back to chatting and another, you know, 10 minutes later or so, I started looking for him and I was like, I really need to find this kid. I can't find him. And so I looked around and I asked my friend, I said, do you see Colin there? And after about five minutes of looking, he wasn't in there. He was gone. I had no idea how he got out, but he got out and I freaked out like a madman. I started running through the mall, yelling Cole's name like a crazy guy. And I ended up running over to the information desk. And there was a little lady sitting at the information desk. And I said, I've lost my son. I don't know where he is. Can you guys help me? She said, sure. And so then I took off again. I started running around, looking in every store, screaming his name, couldn't find him. And after about 20 minutes, um, I ran back to the information desk. And sure enough, little Cole was sitting there with the little old lady and and she laid into me. <laughs> she said, you got to be more responsible with your kids. Something's going to happen to them. She talked to me about being a responsible adult, which I thought was fair. And um, they found him in the Disney store. He's a, smart, he's a smart kid, right? So Cole was in the Disney store. Someone saw that he was alone and brought him to the desk. Now, in that completely terrifying moment where I had lost my son, I want to tell you what I wasn't thinking. Here's what I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking, you know, I really, I really love that little guy. I, I just have a heart for him. I just, I just find him to be kind of winsome. I think I'm going to go look for him because I, I just have feelings of affection for him. That's not what was happening in my heart. I was freaking out because I thought something really bad could happen to him. That's all I could think about. My four-year-old was gone and something bad could happen to him and I have to find him right now. It was urgency that got me moving. And the reason I felt urgent was because something really bad can happen. And probably nothing would, but something could. And the reason I bring this up is because I want to ask, is there an urgency with us when it comes to the salvation of the people that we care about? Is getting the good news to the people that we know in our lives that do not know Christ, that do not follow Christ, is this a necessity for us or is it simply a nicety? Because if we, if you and I, I'm talking to you, if you and I do not feel an urgency for the people in our lives that do not follow Christ, then who will? Who will if not you and I? Every day we read about people whose lives have been cut short by another mass shooting at Walmart or the two kids that drowned this week at the pond, like just six blocks from our house, people that get a cancer diagnosis or a car accident, 
every day people are surprised by the shortness of life every single day. And yet we have been warned in scripture over and over again. Proverbs 27 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what the day may bring. Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what the day may bring. James said this, come now you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I just want to say, you guys, that though it's tough to think about, there is an urgency that comes from the Bible for every follower of Jesus, every disciple of Jesus. We have an urgency, first of all, because no tomorrow is promised to us or to anyone that we care about. And secondly, we have an urgency because for the people that don't know the Lord, something bad could happen to them. And that bad thing is called hell. It's called hell. And I, I want to talk about hell for a second. And you may be like, can we wait till after Christmas to talk about this? And I want to say we can't wait. Jesus talked about hell more than any person in scripture. In the Greek New Testament, the word for hell is this, uh, this word Gehenna, right? And Gehenna was this place, I think we have a picture of it. Gehenna referred to an area that was sort of on the southeast side of Jerusalem. And it was previously to Jesus's day. It was a place where, um, where children were actually sacrificed to the pagan god Moloch. They were burned, uh, to this pagan god Moloch. And then in Jesus's day, this is what it looks like in, in, uh, you know, today. And you can see the valley there. In Jesus's day, it was this smoldering fire. Uh, that was constantly burning where people brought their garbage and dead animals, sometimes even dead people. And it was this putrid, smoky place that became the picture for them of what the eternal fire of hell was like. And so um, according to writer Leslie Schmucker of the Gospel Coalition, she wrote this. She said, Jesus doesn't only reference hell. He describes it in great detail. He says it is a place of eternal torment of unquenchable fire where the worm does not die, where people gnash their teeth in anguish in regret, a place from which there is no return, even to warn loved ones. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna, which is a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. Jesus talked about hell more than he talks about heaven and he describes it more vividly. There is no denying that Jesus knew and believed and warned about the absolute reality of hell. I'll give you two scriptures. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Jesus. Matthew chapter 13. He said this, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore and then they sat down and they collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad away. And then he says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and will separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he said this, And this is for you and I. He said, have you understood all these things? Have you understood all these things? And this is what woke me up in the middle of the night. I believe that he's saying to you and to me, have you understood? Have you understood these things? And I can imagine that you might be thinking, 
yes, I understand, but I don't want to. I don't want to understand. I know of a guy who has um, cancer, and it's serious cancer, and he made a decision that he does not want to hear one thing about his cancer. And so he told his doctors, he told his family, he told his friends, I don't want you to talk about cancer. I don't want you to mention it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to see what happens. And that is it. That is it. And I want you guys to know that I can relate. I can relate. And I don't know if you can, but the question is, do we believe in heaven and hell anymore? Do we believe that Jesus is amazing, that heaven is wonderful, and that that hell is horrific and eternal anymore? Or has heaven and hell just gotten too intense for our modern sensitivities? How many of us, how many of you guys have ever thought about hell and it makes you so uncomfortable that to sort of assuage your discomfort in it, you, you, you've just kind of negotiated in your mind. You, you thought to yourself, I don't know if God would, would really do that. My God is a God of love. I don't think that he would re- really do that. He'll find a way out of that thing. He'll figure out something. I know in my own thinking, you guys, there's a part of me that that I just feel like the harsh reality of hell is almost overwhelming. It's just too much to think about. Like what hell is in itself is too much to think about. And the fact that it is eternal is just completely overwhelming. And if I were if I were to be really honest with you guys, as I think about it, I I would have to say that I've said to God sometimes, how could you? How could you? How could you do this? Does anybody else ever feel that way? But like like Job calling God out because Job experienced things in his life that he didn't think was fair. My offense at God's choices do not negate them. My offense at God's choices do not negate them. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with all that? Well, like the guy with cancer, sometimes the truth can be so difficult that it's just easiest to ignore it. And that's what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but sitting in the Smithsonian Institute is an artifact that I actually hope to see someday. And that is Thomas Jefferson's own Bible, his actual Bible. And Jefferson was a quasi-Christian, I guess is what you could call him. He believed in Jesus, and he thought that Jesus was a great moral teacher and a great example to humanity, but he completely, in his enlightened state, he completely rejected anything supernatural about Jesus, his deity. He rejected miracles, um, anything in the Bible that referenced demons or uh, casting demons out, all of that stuff. He just completely said, nope, I don't believe in any of that. And so uh, Jefferson's Bible sits in the Smithsonian, and what Jefferson did is he took his scissors and he cut out every part of the Bible that he didn't agree with. He just cut it right out of there, right? And while few of us would cut anything out of the Bible with our scissors, we often ignore the parts of scripture that don't line up with our personal perspective, with our modern sensibilities, with our wokeness, whatever it is that we have, right? The author Flannery O'Connor, she said this, truth doesn't change according to my ability to stomach it emotionally. Truth doesn't change according to my ability to stomach it uh, emotionally. God doesn't change even if our culture changes. God doesn't change even if your personal values change. The scripture doesn't change even if we doubt it. 
And so if we ignore the reality of hell, while we may not preach another gospel to others, we may be living out another gospel. And the effect is the same. And I want to ask you, what price do God's precious people who are around us pay if we do not live out the full truth of the scripture? What gospel are we living out? What gospel, church, will you pass on to the next generation? What gospel will you pass on? And so that's what woke me up at three in the morning. I don't want us to pass on an anemic gospel that is stripped of its power because it's our gospel, because it's our message. And maybe, church, it is time that we, the church, modeled our Christian lives after Christ and the Christians of the Bible rather than the people at the church next door. Or, God forbid, the culture in America that would tell us what is a good and moral way to live. Maybe we need to go back to who Christ was and what the scriptures say for for the sake of the people around us and for the sake of the future generations for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. And so I want to just kind of try to zoom in for a minute and wrap us up here. Are you guys okay? So the stakes for the people in your life, they, they couldn't be higher. They just could not be higher. Your unbelieving family members. Do you have anybody in your family that doesn't believe in the Lord? Do you have a friend that doesn't believe in the Lord? Do you have somebody that you care about? Somebody that you know that doesn't believe in the Lord? The stakes for them could not be higher. And what they need is a faithful, real Christian who will manifest Christ, who will preach the full gospel to them, who will do what God has called them to do. And I, 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 I just hearken back to what Paul says all the time in Second Timothy 4. He said this, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work. He didn't say feel the passion of an evangelist. He just said do the work. He didn't say pray for the gift of evangelism. He just said, do the work. He, he didn't say, go to a church where other people are sharing the gospel. He said, do the work. Will you do the work in this season? I want to say that it's time for the average Christian to be like Christ again. It's time for us to be like our church fathers. Time for us to be like Paul and Peter and Mary and Barnabas. Those would be our examples, not the people somewhere in our culture in our day. I want us to reject American Christianity for biblical Christianity. I want us to do the work of the kingdom. It's time for us to square up with the reality of heaven and hell again. No more playing around with scripture, with our mental scissors. It's time for us to restore love, and most importantly, to get back the urgency that is on us for our people at seeking and saving the lost. It's time for regular Christians to spend our lives reaching those that need Christ. Will you spend yourself? Listen to this, you guys. Jesus He ministered to the lost so much that there are several places in the Gospels where he, it says that he spent himself in giving himself to the lost so much 
that the disciples around him felt that they needed to rescue him. They felt that they needed to pull him back. He had exhausted himself so much, himself so much that they said, we got to pull you away so that you can get rest. We got to pull you away so you can eat something. We got to pull you away so you can drink something. Jesus gave himself until he was utterly wasted so that some might be saved. Will you exhaust yourself? Will you sacrifice yourself? Will you do something so that some might be saved? I, um, I never got to thank the person that found Cole. I never got to meet that person. I don't know who it was. I really wish that I could. I really wish that I could just give him a hug and say, you can't, you'll never know how big a deal that was. I was so terrified of what could happen to my son. I was so terrified of what my wife would do if she, <laughs> right? And so this Christmas season, you guys, I have a, a very, very specific application for this message. I wish I could thank that person that brought my kid back to his father. And what I am asking of you this season is that you would be that person, that you would be that person for someone in your life that would rescue someone in your life and pull them out of danger so that they could be restored to their father. And that, that information desk where they brought Cole, where I found him, where he was restored to his father. I want you to see thrive in this Christmas season as that information desk. You with me? I want you to bring someone into the presence of the Lord that exists in this place. And you and I who have been here for a while, when we come into this place, you can feel that God is at work. You know that God is at work. We've experienced him here. And he so desperately wants to restore his lost kids. And so what I'm asking of you is that in this season that you would dedicate yourself to doing the work, no excuses, doing the work of an evangelist for the people that God cares about, that you care about in your life, that you would bring them here to church because when you bring them here, they will experience God. They'll be touched by him. God is faithful to take over. If we do our little part, he will do his great part. And so um, Molly and I, the staff and the leadership here, um, we're, we're just calling on the whole church to bring someone into God's presence so that he can touch them. And I want to tell you that when we do that, when we're faithful to show, to bring them here, God does an amazing thing. And so actually, I want to invite Gerardo to come up. Uh, Gerardo, I asked him, is there a mic? Uh, Gerardo is a little bit newer here to Thrive. Yeah. We love this guy. Yeah, come on up here. Good job. And so um, Gerardo has, how long have you been coming here? Speak right into it. Probably about like four months. Four months. months. Okay. Okay. And so I just asked Gerardo to share his experience uh, coming to Thrive and how, how you got here. So go ahead and share what you got to share. All right. So I found out about Thrive because of Harlem. I actually work with them. And one day at work, I was just talking to him about some bad habits that I have, and he related to me with this story. He told me that he went through a similar situation, and the only way he got over it was finding God. So he invited me out to his uh, young adult group on Sundays in the afternoon. I started going every single week after week. At first, I couldn't make it out to church because I work every single Sunday morning, but once my schedule freed up a little bit, 
I was able to make it out. When I first came here, I just like noticed the sense of community and how everybody just loved God. So they made him love everybody else. Um, sorry. Uh, yeah, after a couple of weeks of coming, I invited my girlfriend Kathy to come out here, and we're you know we're both really excited just to be part of this family and just to grow with God and grow a relationship with them, and most importantly, just bring people out here and have them feel the same love that we feel when we're around here. That's good. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. You guys hearing that? This is what can happen. This is what can happen. Lives are changed. They're transformed. God moves when we get somebody into his presence. And so um, we've been thinking a lot about, um, about what we can do as a church to um, do this good work that, that Jesus calls us to do. And so this Christmas, we are, as you heard, we're holding two Christmas services. The rest of the time is kind of, kind of, kind of going to be oriented towards Christmas, but we're going to have two specific Christmas services. One is on the 18th. It's our normal Sunday morning service, but it's going to be just a, a celebration with the kids. It's going to be fun. It's going to be joyful. It's rejoicing. It's going to be a lot of great food and stuff. And it would be an amazing time for you to invite a friend to come and you could host them in the service. And we're just going to have a wonderful time and we're going to glorify Jesus and love on the people that you bring into this place. And then of course on Christmas Eve at three o'clock, we're going to have a, a worshipful time of honoring uh, the birth of Jesus. And I would encourage you, I would ask you, I would implore you, I would challenge you to dedicate yourself to choosing that person that God has. Ask the Lord, who is the person that you want me to bring? Who are the people that you want me to bring into your presence? And then begin to pray that God would soften their heart and begin to just ask him to move on them when they come into this place. Ask God for the courage to move out of the lane that you're already in so that you can reach them and draw them into his presence. And we know, of course, that them just showing up to um, to a, a Christmas service, that will plant a seed in them. It will introduce them to you amazing people. And by the way, I've always felt that if I could just get anybody in the doors of this church and they got to meet you, that they would just fall in love with you and they would fall in love with this place. But um, Christmas service won't be enough. And so after the New Year, we um, have designed a sermon series that is going to help people to encounter the incredible wisdom of Scripture um, and how applying Scripture will bless them. We're kind of doing it sort of in a covert sort of way, so they won't really, it won't feel super churchy to them, but as you can see here, we're calling this New Year's sermon series Tips and Tricks for Making Everything Better, and we imagine that there's people in your life that would like to have a better life, and we know that God is the way for that, that scripture speaks to that. And so our sermon series will be fine-tuning your time, fine-tuning your stress level, fine-tuning your relationships, fine-tuning your finances, and fine-tuning your soul. And in this series, we're going to just teach on the wisdom of Jesus, the wisdom of the Bible as it relates to the most important issues of our lives, our time, our relationships, the stuff that we worry about, our money, and our soul. And so my ask is that you would be like one of those crazy YWAM missionary kids that will go to the ends of the earth 
to win souls for Christ, that you would join us in this. And I'm just going to close with Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It says this. But how can they, our unbelieving friends and family and neighbors and co-workers, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's what I'm doing right now with you. That's what I'm doing right now with you. How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Amen. I just want you to do some business with the Lord. And I want you to just give your heart to the Lord. And I want you to give your life to the Lord. And I want you to repent if you have to repent. I want you to declare that you will follow him. Let's do some work with the Lord in this moment.